All right, Docs Church, guys, good morning. Hey, it is, uh, it is great to, to be together today, guys. Um, go ahead, I want to invite you to grab your Bible and find your way to Jonah chapter 3, okay? If you're, if you're new, again, I want to say welcome to Doxa. It's great to have you part of our, our family gathering today. My name is Rob, um, and today you're joining us in the midst of a study uh, through the short but great Old Testament book of Jonah. And as we get into this today, what I want to do is I want to start by just catching us up to speed with where we're at as we get into Jonah chapter 3, okay? So if you remember back a few weeks in Jonah chapter 1, God comes to this man named Jonah. He's a prophet of God, and God just tells him, hey, I need you to leave Israel. And this is really unique in the life of the prophets because this is the only prophet that God has actually said, I want you to get out of Israel. And he says, I want you to go to Assyria, all right, to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to cry out against it. And in chapter 1, all we're told about this great city of Nineveh is that it was evil. And as we look at history, okay, we, we know that Assyria was just a brutal nation, all right, this, the Assyrian nation that we're talking about here in Jonah is actually the modern-day city of Muzzle, Iraq. But these were God's enemies. Historians had, have likened the Assyrians, the Ninevites, uh, to like a terrorist state. So we're just talking about like a brutal people, just mad warriors. And we talked about them a lot during week one. So if you missed that and you're curious, you can go back uh, and listen to that on our website. But Jonah hears from God. He hears God say, hey, I want you to get up. I want you to go to Nineveh of Assyria, but rather than going to Nineveh, we watch Jonah board a ship, and he goes in the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish, trying to run as far away as he possibly could from God and his call on his life. And we looked at this geographically a few weeks ago, right? But this would be in the equivalent of God kind of coming to us here in Madison and saying, hey, I want you to go to Chicago. And you're like, nope, I'm going to San Diego. I'm going to get a Mai Tai on the beach, and I'm just going to be as far away from you as possible. All right, this is what Jonah did. He just goes. But in his disobedience, all right, God sends a great storm upon the ship that Jonah was sailing on. He's with these professional sailors. And these sailors, they, they're looking at the storm. They're familiar with the water. They're familiar with these storms. But they look at the storm and say, something major is going on. They start talking to Jonah. They're like, what did you do? Like, who are you? Like, what's going on? Jonah kind of finally relents and says, hey, this is my fault. Just throw me in and we'll just see what God wants to do with me. And then at the end of chapter one, we learn that this fish, this great fish was sent to Jonah. That God pursues Jonah even though he is running from God. And guys, I want you to know that this is actually the overarching story of humanity. And really the overarching story of the Bible, that sinners run from God, but God lovingly pursues sinners through the man Jesus Christ. But God sends this fish after Jonah. All right? And while this fish is like a big part of the story of Jonah, it's one of the most famous parts in this book of Jonah, it's ultimately not the point of Jonah. All right? So when you think about this fish, don't think, wow, this is what it's all about. Just think about like an ancient Uber that God used to go get Jonah. Okay, This is what it is. All right, this fish comes and swoops up Jonah and takes him to the place where he needs to be. And we see that this fish just shows up, swallows Jonah, and then in chapter 2, Jonah's in the belly of this great fish and he starts crying out to God. And in this moment, he repents of his disobedience, and at that point, God speaks to this fish, and this fish throws Jonah up on the beach. And this is where we pick up Jonah's story in chapter 3. And the big question 
The big question is this. What will Jonah do next? Right? Because Jonah's story this far has really just been really unexpected. All right, it's just like a terrible reality TV show, right? It's like that guy that you're like, his life is a train wreck. What is this guy going to do? He's just dumb, right? And you can't watch, stop watching it. It's like, what is Jonah going to do next? Because we've seen so many unexpected things from Jonah the prophet. Like we would never expect the prophet of God to not listen to God. We would never expect the prophet of God to, to run from God. We would never expect the prophet of God to like kind of repent to God without actually saying sorry. So many unexpected things so far in the life of Jonah. But as we get into chapter 3, we're going to see another unexpected thing. Okay, So let's get into this. Chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to walk through this chapter kind of making some observations along the way, and then we're going to wrap up with some lessons and applications from Jonah. Okay, So here we go. Chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, and I'm going to pause there, okay? Because I love this and you need to see this. God comes a second time. If you have your Bible, I want you to circle that, highlight it, whatever you got to do. He comes a second time. And Doxa, this is something that I so desperately want you to understand. That we are seeing here as God comes to Jonah a second time, this is revealing the father heart of God. That of all the ways that God could have revealed himself to us through the Bible. He chooses the way, the specific way of Father. And he does this because he wants us to know a little bit about his heart, a little bit about his love, a little bit about his perspective towards us, that God is in fact a good Father, and he doesn't just toss you aside because you sin and you mess up and you disobey. And I know that for some of you in here, this is really difficult for you because you grew up with a dad that that's exactly what he did to you. But you need to know that there might be an experience that you had with your earthly dad, but this is not your heavenly dad. Amen? This is not who God is. God pursues. And he comes to Jonah a second time. But God, he told Jonah, he told him to do something, and he didn't do it. And then God meets with him, and he restores him, and he tells him, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something through you. And he uses him. And guys, I mention this, okay, because so many of us, we might be tempted, you might be sitting in your seat right now thinking, Man, God told me to do something, and I didn't do it. God told me not to do something, and I did that thing. And many of you, you might be sitting here wondering, like, okay, I'm here in church, but is God just done with me? Like, is he done with me? Have I, have I messed up? Is I, have I gone too far? And I have the great joy of sharing the truth with you that God's not done with you. He loves you. You're not too far gone. The Father still loves you and he's pursuing you and that's why you're here and he will restore you. You just need to meet with him again and again and he will call you back just like Jonah. Doc said, this is what God is like. That God in his love, in his mercy, in his patience, in his grace, he just stoops down to those, all of us, myself included, who reject him, who don't listen to his call, who have closed their ears to his words and have pushed forward into a course of direct disobedience to him, and he meets with us again and again and again and again to renew us and to restore us and to use us for his glorious purpose. This is the story of Jonah. And I really hope that encourages someone in this room today. We have a God of the second chance. And not just the second chance, but the third chance and the fourth chance and the 990th chance. This is who our God is. 
And so God comes a second time to Jonah saying this. Look at verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest among them to the least of them. And I just want you to see this, okay? The words of Jonah 3, verses 1 through 3, if you look back to chapter 1, it mirrors verses 1 through 3 in chapter 1. This is the same call that comes to Jonah a second time, but the major difference is Jonah's response. That the first time, the words of God, they come to Jonah, but they're followed with the word, but. But Jonah. And Jonah disobeyed. And Jonah, through his sin and his disobedience, he just brings about havoc on his life and havoc in the lives of those around him. But now, I love this, having met with God, having been renewed by God and reinstated by God, Jonah obeys and blessing comes. Guys, and I want you to understand this about sin and obedience, okay? That this is the truth that we see in James, in the letter of James in the New Testament. That when the word of God comes and we do what it says, James says we have blessing and life and joy that will come. But when we do what so many Christians do, we hear the word of God and we kind of do that thing where we go, "Mm, mm mm-hmm, right? And then we don't do anything about it. James actually says you're deceived. You're deceived if you think that you're growing with God and loving God and actually following God. I just need you to see that as, as Jonah obeyed God, the outpouring of God's power came both in his life and through his life. It's beautiful. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh, all right, this great city, three days' journey in breath. So Nineveh is just like this massive ancient city. And as he gets into the city on that first day, look back to verse 4. Here's what we see. And he called out. All right, so Jonah, the, he just walks in. On that first day, he starts to preach. And what does he preach? Guys, here's his sermon. Yet 40 days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. All right, this is Jonah's sermon. That's it. All right, in the, in the Hebrew, this is a five-word sermon. I know some of you guys are like, well, you should take a lesson. It would be a lot shorter, right? But this is his sermon. Five words. Now, guys, as you think about this five-word sermon, there's a, there's a couple options regarding this, okay? Number one, this actually could be a summary of what Jonah said to the Ninevites, that some people will look at this and look at the whole of chapter 3 and say, clearly Jonah said more than just this five-word sermon. But this was just a summary of all that he proclaimed. That's, that's actually possible. All right, another option is that Jonah was just doing the bare minimum. Okay, How many of you guys were those kids in school? Right, right? It's like, what do I got to do to pass? And you're like, D plus? Okay, got it, right? Okay, I'll be on the slide in the playground if you need me, right? And he just did the bare minimum. And, and you look at Jonah's story and you're like, man, that's, that's kind of, that might be it. He, he, Jonah was that kid, maybe. A third option is this is actually all God told him to say. And so maybe Jonah was sitting there, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. After he repented, he learned this lesson with the fish. And maybe Jonah heard like this, this sermon from God and he's like, man, that doesn't sound like a good sermon. But I remember like, that thing that happened with that fish, I'm not going back there, 
right? And he could be sitting there and he's in the desert. He's like, there's no fish out here, but maybe God's got like a huge camel out there. I'm not going to mess with this, okay? And he just says whatever God said. Because, because I want you to hear this. There are a few significant things that we learn from this message that God sent Jonah with. The first is this. Doxa, just like God sent Jonah to the Ninevites with a specific message, you and I as Christians are charged by God and sent by God into the entire world to deliver a very specific message as well. And while Jonah was sent with a message of judgment coming, we are sent with the message of the gospel. And here's what I want to say. The gospel literally means good news. And oftentimes when, when people talk about the gospel, they, they love talking about the love of God. And they love talking about the wonderful relationship that God would like to have with people and with every single one of us. And to be sure, this is emphatically true. But I need you to understand, the truth is, there is more than the gospel than just that. That the gospel actually has a bad news side of it. And that's the side that many Christians don't like to talk about. But hear this. Because before someone has a reason to listen to the message about a loving God wanting to be in a relationship with them, there's bad news that needs to be shared. There's bad news that actually needs to be heard. Just like Jonah shared with the Ninevites. That if you don't turn your life to God in His ways, there's judgment coming. This is the bad news side of the good news. Now, if you're new, you're like, man, this is, this is kind of heavy, right? If you've been around Doxa, you're like, this is like every other Sunday, right? But this is, this is heavy. Because here's where I'm at. If we don't tell the people we know whom God loves the bad side of the good news, they will most likely never have an opportunity to receive the mercy of God. This is my story. For years, I would have people tell me, you know God really loves you. Okay. You know God really wants to be like in your life and he's a good father and he, he just wants to have a relationship with you. And I'm like, man, there's a couple of people over here that I'm really wanting to be in a relationship with. I don't know if I need this other guy, right? And I remember it wasn't until my senior year in college that my friend Andy, he came and he opened up the Bible and he told me about sin. It was the first time I ever heard about sin. And I remember being like, oh, like I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm not just a guy who needs a new best friend. And that changed everything. That changed the conversation completely. Guys, there is no salvation without hearing the bad news. And this is the predicament that we find Jonah in. Jonah has to be the one to take the bad news to the Nineveh so that they can have a chance to hear some really good news. But it's through receiving the bad news that the Ninevites will become objects of the glorious good news of the mercy of God because with the warning of judgment is the truth and the hope that if they change, the judgment wouldn't come. That this is the point of a warning, right parents? Hey, you warn your kids, hey, keep doing this, this is going to happen. And then if they're smart enough, they'd be like, well, if I don't do that thing, then that thing won't happen. This is what God was saying to the Ninevites. And so for us, while we might be hesitant to bring up the subject of the gospel because of the other side of the good news is bad news, Jonah, on the other hand, he does not like the job of preaching to the Ninevites because the other side of the bad news is good news. And Jonah knows 
That if he tells these wild, wicked, vile, evil people the bad news, then they might change. And if they change and if they repent, that God might have mercy on them and he might forgive them. And Jonah actually didn't like that because he didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't like them. And so Doxa, we, Christian, like Jonah, are charged by God to take a specific message to the entire world. And the message is the good news about the death of Jesus for the sins of people and about his resurrection from the dead to offer us life. And just like the Ninevites needed to hear the words of God through Jonah, every single person in this world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus through us. The good news and the bad news. The bad news is that there is sin in all of our lives. And that sin is very serious. It causes a lot of problems. It brings separation between us and God. And if not dealt with in this life, it will be experienced in eternal life, which is just the complete absence and separation of God, which is the terrible conscious reality of hell. That's the bad news, that God is holy and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so for, in order for him to be with us, whom he created and he loves, you're loved by God, he needs to deal with our sin, which is why Jesus Christ stepped into our situation and he lived for us and he died for us and he rose for us. This is God giving us a way out of our sin, a way out of our judgment, and this is actually the only way. You know, I, I hear people say all the time, it doesn't seem right that God would send people to hell. You need to understand, God does not send people to hell. We take ourselves there. That God has given us a way out of our sin. And he has come and he has lived and he has died and he has risen. And he is just waiting for you and for me to respond and to come to him. Guys, this is the gospel. And when you come to Jesus in faith, saying, you're God, I'm not. I'm a sinner, you're a savior. I have sin, take it, give me your righteousness. And you believe he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, and he brings us back to God. He does it. And as he does this, he saves us from Satan, sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God. And this is something that every single one of us need. Now, the second thing about Jonah's five-word sermon is this. If you look back, right, look at these five words. Jonah gives this sermon, and it's not particularly hopeful. It's not even really that helpful. I mean, he basically walks into the city, and he's like, 40 days, and you're done. Right? That's all he says. But look at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God. They believed God. I mean, is this crazy? After hearing one of the worst sermons ever preached... The people of Nineveh, they were sitting there and be like, you know what? That makes sense. I'm in. I believe, right? It's just crazy. Now, how does this happen? Listen, it happens because God's word is powerful. Doxa, when the word of God comes, it comes with the power of God. And what we learn in Jonah chapter 3 is that it doesn't matter how powerful a nation or a kingdom is, the word of God is more powerful. And here in Jonah 3, all of a sudden, a power, 
an authority shows up in the great city of Nineveh that is far more powerful than any of the people, far more powerful than the nation, the army, the king, the culture, all of it. It's the power of the word of God. And guys, when the word of God shows up, people change, families change, cities change, everything changes, eternities change because it's the word of God that brings power. It's the word of God that brings life. And when the word of God comes in power, everything changes. And I need you to understand that this was not just true of Nineveh, but it's true today. Jonah speaks this five-word sermon and everything changes because this was the message from God. And it was filled with power. That Jonah is spit out of this fish, he walks into the city, he gives the people five words, he wasn't polished, he wasn't really articulate, it wasn't all put together, yet everyone believes. And this shows us that human effort is not what changes someone's heart. It's not what saves someone's life. It's God. This goes back to Jonah 2.9, which is the, the crux of this whole book, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is true of of Nineveh, but this is true of us. And so for us, guys, I want you to understand, guys, it's not our job to save anyone. It's not our job to do that. You know what our job is, Christian? It's to be faithful to the Word of God. It's to be faithful to the Word of God as we share the gospel, saying whatever God says and leaving the results up to Him. And so very practically, I'll say this, guys. As we talk about being an inviter, we talk about this teaching series of being like the explicit gospel and we're sent with the gospel. If you're waiting for the perfect moment to tell a non-Christian friend that they're condemned to hell because of their sin and that's why they need Jesus, I need you to understand that that perfect moment is never going to come. The perfect moment to say it is whenever you have a chance to talk freely. It's just to simply go to our friends that we love and say, hey, like, I just need to talk to you about the most significant thing in my life. And as I share this with you, I think it's going to become the most significant thing to you. Let me know when we can talk about it. Like, I want to talk to you about your relationship with God. And they kind of say, well, hey, I don't, I don't really want to talk about that. I don't want to hear anything about that from you. Hey, I get it. But I love you, and you just need to know that we're all sinners before God, and anybody without God is going to be judged forever before God. Because if the gospel is true, we can't wait for a perfect moment because that perfect moment won't come. And I'll tell you where I'm at. Friday morning, I got notified that one of my teammates that I played football with suddenly died. And I've been thinking about this guy. Big D. I love the dude. And I just... I've been thinking about him, and like I see some of the weird stuff he posts on Facebook, and I'm like, man, I just need to reach out to this guy. I just need to go visit him. And I, I was literally thinking about him on Thursday because I saw him post something. And then I wake up on Friday, gone. Now, it's not, it's not on me to share the gospel with him and to save his life. But I have that question of like, what type of joy did I miss out on? I'm giving that gospel to Big D. Listen to what the theologian Donald Whitney says. He says it like this. It's going to come up here on the screen. Opportunities to share the gospel won't just happen. 
You have to discipline yourself to ask your neighbors how you can pray for them or when you can share a meal with them. You have to discipline yourself to get with your coworkers during off, off, off hours. Many such opportunities for evangelism will never take place if you wait for them to occur spontaneously. The world, the flesh, and the devil will do their best to see to that. You, however, backed by the invincible power of the Holy Spirit, can make sure that these enemies of the gospel do not win. And Whitney goes on in an effort to encourage the Christian to share the gospel. He goes on to say this, only the sheer rapture of being lost in the worship of God is as exhilarating and intoxicating as telling someone about Jesus Christ. And Doxa, this thrill will be ours when we proclaim the gospel boldly and fully and leave the results up to God. Will we go with the word of God for the glory of God and the salvation of people? Jonah did, and all this happens because the word of God is powerful and it was unleashed to the Ninevites. And I need you guys just to understand this. The word of God, which is all about the gospel of Jesus, is the only hope for our world. Do you know that? I know some of you might push on that. Be like, no, we got election season coming up. Good luck, okay? But here's what I love as the word of God comes to Nineveh. The Ninevites had big problems. They had huge problems in their nation, in their lives, and they had no solution for it until the word of God comes. That in this great city of Nineveh, there was evil, there was violence, there was abuse, there was fear, there were families being torn apart, there was terrible leadership, just terrible things happening throughout their city, and they had no solution until the word of God shows up. And this is not just the story of Nineveh. This is our story. Guys, in our day and age, there is a great longing for things to be different in our world. There's a great longing for things to change in our city, in our country, in our daily experience. A longing for people to be seen differently. A longing for men to treat women with dignity. For children to be birthed and not killed. For people to have value and be treated with value and not trafficked and abused. There's a longing for peace and hope and joy and safety and security that pervades every single human heart. And we all feel it. There's something in all of humanity that longs for this. In our world and in our daily experience, and I need you to know that this is a soul hunger in people because all people, regardless of faith, have been made in the image and the likeness of God. And because of that, there's a longing for us, inside all of us, for a world the way that it was when God made it before sin entered it. And people everywhere, people everywhere, They try and change our current situation. They try and change our current experiences by like fighting wars and electing new politicians and and leading protests and leading these lobby groups and starting new organizations and instituting new policies. But those things, they cannot bring lasting change. What everyone in this world is longing for is ultimately only experienced and found in the word of God coming to a group of people and changing them. This is the hope of the world. It's Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so Doxa, the hope for our city, our country, our world, it's the word of God. It's the good news of Jesus. It's people recognizing that there is something really wrong with every single one of us. And there is a God and I'm not him. And it's people humbling themselves before God, repenting of their sin, just like the Ninevites did, and turning to God. 
And as we turn to God, he renews us at the source of nature and we become different where we begin to have the thoughts of God and the love of God and the ways of God played out in the stage of our life that goes through us into our families and out into the world. And everything changes. Guys, the gospel is not just something that we need in here so that we can sing. It's something that needs to be shared out there so that people can be saved and the world can change. And just like God sent Jonah, he has sent us. And may God allow us to be a church family to like live out this mission. So back to Jonah. The people are, are hearing the word of God. They begin to repent. Now look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So the word of God comes to the people of Nineveh. It reaches the ears of the king and the whole nation is humbled and repents. And as the word of God comes to the king, I just want you to picture this in your head. This king is sitting on his throne and he hears this and he realizes, oh wait, like I'm the king of Nineveh, but there's like a king above me. And he kind of is feeling on his throne. He's like, I don't belong on this throne. There's someone else on the throne. And he gets off his throne and he sits down in ashes. The king realizes that there's a king that's more powerful than I am, who I answer to. And so he steps down from his throne and he repents. He realizes, guys, there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with this nation that I'm leading. And he says, look, he gets all of his officials together, his cabinet members, and says, hey, get everybody together. We're going to call for a national day of repentance. Get everybody together. All right, no eating, no drinking. We need to fast. I want everybody in sackcloth, which is a sign of repentance. And I don't want any animals to eat or drink as well because we don't have time to feed them. We don't need to be spending time feeding our animals. We need time to cry out to God. We just need to call out to him. And so the people of this time, they would have heard his words communicate that if we lose all of our business, if we lose all of our food, it doesn't matter because we're in a bad place before God. And he's saying, let us just put everything aside and let's just cry out to God as long as we have breath. And if you look back, the king just says, who knows? Like, who knows? This king's thinking like, I mean, if we do this, maybe this God will be like kind to us. Like, who knows? Maybe, maybe this God won't, won't treat us like we treat other people. Maybe this God will just like hear our cries and he'll just give us like a get out of jail free card. Like, who knows? And the irony in this is, is this, guys. Jonah knows that God is a God who forgives. The Ninevites don't know that God forgives. But the Ninevites, they go and apologize and repent to God anyways. 
See how the Ninevites are responding properly to God and Jonah so oftentimes doesn't. I mean, how many of us, we know that God forgives and we don't even apologize when we sin and rebel? The Ninevites repent. Old people, young people, powerful people, peasant people. And this all happened because the word of God is powerful. And look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, he saw their repentance He saw their hearts bowed low in humility, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relents. He gives them this warning of judgment because of their sin. These people listen to him, they believe him, they repent before him, and God relents. And this is where we leave Jonah in chapter three. But I need you to understand this, Doxa. You need to know that the story of Nineveh is the story of the whole world. We have a God who is incredibly patient. And what Jonah says is, hey, Nineveh, because of your great sin, your continuous rebellion, the patience of God is running out and you're down to 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, there's not going to be any more mercy, there's not going to be any more patience, there's not going to be any more grace, there's just going to be justice and consequences. And the Ninevites, they just turn immediately. I need you to understand that God is so patient. He's just waiting for sinners to repent. But there will be a day, and as I share this, I hope that maybe you, you stop seeing church as kind of a game that we play and just like what, what it actually is. Guys, there will be a day when God's grace and mercy and his patience will come to an end. There will be a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again in glory. And on that day, he will come as judge and the dead will rise and every person from every nation will pass by the judgment seat of God and will give an account for the life that they lived That day is coming. And some of us, we might be tempted to think, that day's not coming. It's not, you know, it's because God is patient. And he's waiting for you to repent and to come to him. But he will come. He will come. But he's waiting to save us from sin and death and hell because he loves us. He's waiting for us to repent just like the Ninevites did so that he can relent just like he did then. Guys, God loves you. He loves you. He's done everything to make a way for you. You might be the craziest dude in here living a wild life. He loves you. And he's waiting. For the sake of your life, you need to come to Jesus. You absolutely need to come to Jesus. And so let me end with this, guys. What we just saw in Jonah chapter three is arguably one of the largest revivals in the history of the world. All right, and revival is something, Christian, that you know, we've heard a decent amount about throughout this past year with like the Asbury revival, people are calling that. And revival is something that Christians oftentimes talk about and, and pray about. But revival is just like a surprising touch of the Holy Spirit that just enhances kingdom ministry. 
It's the outpouring of God's grace bringing life to dead things. It's the Holy Spirit just showing up in a unique and powerful way. And guys, I'll tell you what our city needs, what our country needs is revival. It needs revival. We don't just need like elections to go our way, we need revival to come our way. It's the only hope that we have. We need people to meet Jesus. We need them to have a new nature. We need them to be born again with, and start loving the things that God loves. And sure, I'm all about like cultural change and social reform and all this stuff, but at the end of the day, until people are filled with the Spirit of God and have a love for God and love the things that God loves, things aren't gonna change until people change. And the gospel is what brings that change. And what we've seen here in Jonah 3 and throughout world history is occasions of God's presence just falling in a way that produces revival. And guys, I pray for revival all the time. And I'd encourage you, Christian, you should pray for that, like an awakening, a filling of God's grace. If you're looking around the world and just kind of saying, like, everything's just so jacked up, like, what, I don't think anything's gonna get better unless the word of God shows up. But here's the big idea. Revival comes when people repent. And so I want to give you three lessons on revival from Jonah chapter 3. Revival is what we desire. It's what we need. And while it's a movement of God, there are things to bring about revival, like the work of us working alongside God. And we see three here. Number one, guys, there has to be faithful preaching and faithful hearing of the word of God. Jonah preached what God had given him to preach, and it was so effective it wasn't a lengthy message, but that didn't matter. It wasn't an intellectual message, but that didn't matter. It wasn't even eloquent, but that too did not even matter. All that was necessary, that it was God's message, faithfully shared and faithfully heard in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And my prayer every week that I'm on the stage is just to faithfully bring you the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit of God to move in us and through us to produce life. And guys, I believe that when the Word of God speaks and people receive it, things just change. Your soul changes. Your eternity changes. Your identity changes. Everything changes. And this goes and this affects everybody behind you. Your family, the generations to come, your legacy. And it spills out into our entire city and our entire world. Guys, if we want the blessing of God in our personal lives, in our church, and in our city, and in our country, we need to stay faithful to the Word of God. Absolutely faithful to the Word of God. We don't believe that this book just kind of changes and bends and twists with the changing of culture and people's ideas about it. This is the eternal word of God. And we don't stand on top of it and authority over it, but we stand under it, looking to God through his word to tell us what is true, what is right, how to live our lives, how to understand reality. We need the word of God. You need the word of God. Would you please read the word of God? Would you memorize the word of God? Would you pray the word of God for your joy in the glory of God? Revival, it needs faithful preaching and faithful hearing of the word of God. And as you hold fast to the word of God and you try and share the word of God and the gospel of Jesus with people, let me just tell you, guys, don't worry when people scoff at you. Don't worry when intellectuals and liberal theologians kind of make fun of you. Because God's blessing will come. Number two, 
There must be belief in God. The Ninevites did more than just hear Jonah's message. All right, as soon as they heard it, they responded by believing. They believed God. And guys, to believe in God is necessary to having faith. Okay, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And this is not just a generic belief in God, but it's a specific faith in Jesus Christ as the supreme and final revelation of God. John 14.6 says that you can't have faith in God as he really is unless that faith includes Jesus Christ. John 5.23 says if anyone does not honor Jesus Christ, he does not honor God the Father. Guys, when Jesus is exalted and worshipped and loved and treasured and followed above everything and above anyone more emphatically than anything and anyone, blessing and movement of God comes. And then lastly, number three, there must be action. All right, the Bible teaches in places like James 1 that there is no true belief without some corresponding action. And having heard the word of God and believing the word of God, the Ninevites took action and they fasted and they repented and they prayed, crying out to God. And God showed up. And specifically for the Ninevites, listen to this. There was a turning from specific sin which characterized them. Their violence Guys, if we want to see a heightened movement of God in our lives, we too much, must turn from specific sins. Whether it's sexual sin or pride or selfishness or laziness or just like materialism or vanity, whatever it might be, a lack of love, whatever it is, we must not repent in vague terms. We need to name it before God, confess it to each other, and repent, literally changing our mind and changing our direction, turning from our sin, the specific sin, and turning towards God. And God will show up and he will meet us in that moment. It's the truth of Scripture. What would happen, guys, if we were like a church, if we were like a people like that? that really like kind of like grabbed hold of the word of God and faithfully taught it and listened to it. And we believed him. And we had faith and we exalted Jesus above everything in our lives. And that we were constantly just throwing off the sin that just trips us up and holds us down. Like what would happen? How would we, how would we experience the movement of God in our midst? I want to find out. But here's what you need to know. Revival starts here before it breaks out out there. There's a man named Gypsy Smith. Oh, this will be the last thing. A man named Gypsy Smith that God used as like a revivalist would, he would travel and he would just faithfully preach the word of God and God just used this man in crazy ways to bring many, many people to Jesus. And there was a guy that asked him one day, he was like, hey, I want to figure this thing out. Like, how do I bring about revival to a people? And here's what Gypsy Smith said. He said, find a piece of chalk and find an empty room. Go into that room and shut the door. Draw a circle on the floor with that chalk. Kneel down in that circle and ask God to start revival right there in that circle. 
Can we be those people? For the glory of God, for the good of the world, for our joy. That we would just meet with God and just draw that circle. And we would just get on our knees before God and just say, God, here I am. I got so much crap in my life. I got so much just sin. I need you. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. But I take you at your word. And you're good. And you say that you love me. And you say that you're patient. I'm here. Help me. Help me repent. God shows up when his people have this posture. What's in your life right now that you just need to lay down? Maybe it's time for you to draw that circle and just ask God to meet you there. In fact, let me just give you some time right now. And if you need to get on your knees, just kneel at your chair, whatever you need to do, and just get before God and talk to him. If there's sin in your life, just lay it down, knowing that he's good. Knowing that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just, and he will forgive that sin. Just get before him and talk right now to him. you know every single person in this room. Your love goes beyond those who have perfect church attendance and know all the right things to say. It goes to the rebel in here, the unfaithful in here. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just, would you just help us to just have an experience with your love today? Let us just feel your presence for those that are, have been like Jonah and are running, would this be the morning of like the great fish that you just swallow them up, preach your gospel to them, and change their life? Would you allow us just be a, a faithful church that would hold tightly and faithfully to the word of God? Would we have faith? Would you make us just a people filled with belief that would exalt Jesus and would you help us to just be a repentant people, not a perfect people, just a repentant, dependent people? You're good. Help us to see your goodness, to believe your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.